Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. The most intriguing talk in talk radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here with the author of 16 books, including Before the Alamo and her latest, The Choice. And they are, are works of historical fiction. And and she is uh, she is terrific. Some of them, four of them aren't. Uh, those are textbooks. But 16 books, think about it, and, and a very productive um, lately. And, uh, and constantly, I shouldn't say lately, uh, constantly, uh, uh, an extended radio series, a documentary, um, lots of visuals. But uh, since, uh, I, I don't know the starting date, but since she's taken over as her own host, podcast host and uh, radio host, she's on 124 different outlets. And you can hear on so many different uh, areas and whatever you're listening to her on now is fine. That's just we don't care where you listen as long as you listen, and we appreciate your attention here. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg is our host each and every week. Doc, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. I hope you are too, Frank. Uh, I am, and uh, you know, you and I were talking a little bit off mic, and uh, you were talking about some some articles, some movement, and you, you and I have been talking about the environment and, uh, at, you know, recent weeks. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that people keep going back to are cars and the idea of electric cars and a different kind of powered cars rather than fossil fuels. And, and California uh, and their governor seems like he made a major step. And uh, I guess there's pros and cons in everything you do. But if you can... Uh, you know, catch the uh, listeners up to speed on what's going on in California. Right. Well, <clears throat> the uh, article came out last Thursday, uh, not yesterday, but uh, but or whenever last Thursday was. <laughs> I'm losing track of time here. But in any case, it came out on uh, August 25th. Um, it was written on the 23rd, however. Um, and it came out in the New York Times, so uh, you people back in back east will probably, some of you, have read it. The headline is, California Will Ban the Sale of New Gas Cars. And, of course, that shocked me <laughs> uh, into uh, wondering when. And it turns out that he will prohibit, this plan will prohibit the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2005. 35, uh, and it goes in several stages. Uh, actually, this is a huge uh, change, at, and it is a necessary change because automobile exhaust is what is causing most of the pollution that is destroying the planet. We have so many millions and billions of cars uh, on the planet that we are blanketing, especially you can see it when you are outside of a big city like New York or even a middle-sized city uh, like uh, uh, San Antonio. Like uh, San Antonio is down in a bowl, uh, and you can see the uh, the gray cloud uh, on a sunny day that hovers over San Antonio, and it is exhaust from cars. Same thing is true of uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles is really bad. 
so um, I have known from personal experience trying to uh, breathe in Los Angeles. The Los Angelans were used to it, but uh, my eyes were running and I was sneezing, really allergic to the situation there. So Governor Newsom decided to do something about it. And um, the, uh, the rule was issued by the California Air Resources Board, and it will require that 100% of all new cars sold in the state by 2035 be free of fossil fuel emissions. And it sets interim targets requiring that 35% of new passenger vehicles sold in the state by 2026. So that's very soon, just two years after the next uh, presidential election, that uh, they uh, produce, so 35% produce zero emissions, and that by that time, they're supposed to drop by 60% uh, in uh, 2030. So um, this is really a stringent thing, and... Um, and it is greeted by uh, conservationists, of course, with great glee. However, um, uh, however, there are all kinds of problems with it. Um, now, Joe Biden, of course, uh, just signed into law his uh, $370 billion of spending and tax credits on clean energy programs. So uh, he gave permission, tacit permission, if not explicit permission, for this uh, California effort to go through. So um, he wants, this is Biden, the United States wants to cut its emissions 40% uh, below 2005 levels by the end of this decade. But even that will not be enough to eliminate the U.S. emissions by 2050, which is what the target for the uh, for the United States um, for this uh, Biden, <coughs> pardon me, this Biden bill um, to achieve. So, um, the, actually, the Biden bill assumes that the states will do their part. So obviously, uh, this thing by uh, by Governor Newsom is a welcome move. Um, <clears throat> and according to the article, uh, at least uh, 12 other states would uh, potentially adopt a new California zero emissions mandate relatively soon, they say. Uh, and then there are another five states that follow California's uh, vehicle policies, generally speaking. So if all of those, so 12 plus 5, that would be 17 states, and that would be uh, roughly a third of the, um, of, the, of the U.S. auto market, because, of course, California is the biggest auto market in the country, and I guess New York State would be the next. Um, I'm not quite sure about that, but uh, it would seem logical. And uh, uh, this would, uh, if we could do that, um, let's say by 2035, uh, that would go, that would be uh, a major uh, step toward addressing climate change. 
So um, uh, the president of the Alliance for Automotive uh, Innovation, who is John Bozella, um, who represents uh, large uh, U.S. and, and foreign automakers, so uh, so that's uh, a lot of automakers. Um, he said that California's new electric vehicle mandate would be a very challenging more ways than one. <clears throat> and he lists nine challenges, and I had already started to count them up in my head by the time I got to this point in the article. Um, and he says, for instance, inflation could be a barrier. Uh, the problem of getting a charge for your vehicle and having charging stations and up charging stations that would be a challenge because there would have to be charging stations all over the place. And fuel, um, how to fuel the, uh, the charging stations themselves. We need a lot of power to do that, uh, power beyond what we have now. And uh, the infrastructure in general, um, supply chains need to be infallible. Uh, we need labor. Uh, labor to build those cars, labor to build those batteries. Uh, the critical minerals are a problem because they come from China <clears throat> and uh, somewhere overseas, maybe in Africa as well, and that's lithium and cobalt. And I think uh, one of the latest moves on the national level was by Biden was to uh, see if we can find lithium and cobalt in this country so we will not have to uh, rely on China to supply us with those two things. And um, let's see what else here. Uh, pricing. <laughs> pricing it would be sky high to begin with because lithium and cobalt are very expensive, so the batteries, the charge for the batteries would be sky high, and not not to mention the automobiles themselves. So, um, uh, and uh, he added semiconductor short, shortfall. Um, that, too, would be a problem. We need uh, more manufacturers of those. So, Yes, we do want more electric vehicles on the roads, but um, we need the state and federal governments to do more themselves to address the issues such as the ability to mine those those minerals I was just speaking of here. And, um, and so the, the problems are enormous. And uh, this, this goal of having... Um, Let's see what did 40 percent uh, below 2005 levels by the end of this decade uh, seems very, very ambitious indeed, given the problems. But when I consider what we did in World War II, we went from a country at peace uh, with a peacetime economy and manufacturing and all the rest to a wartime footing in in such a short order that it was it makes me dizzy to think about it. Uh, and we were turning out ships and planes. Uh, our men were all um, in the army, and the women were doing all the production, for which they got very little credit 
uh, when they when the men came back, women were shoved into the kitchen, and that was the end of that for the women for a long time. Yeah. But uh, when when desperation struck, uh, we answered desperation with a total mobilization, and it was uh, just a few months. Uh, before we were turning out liberty ships and uh, bombers and so on. So it can be done if if we really put our shoulders to the wheel. Yeah. So um, to get back to the actual article, uh, the governments of Canada and Britain and nine other European countries, and that includes France, Spain, and Denmark, have set goals of phasing out the sale of new gasoline-powered vehicles between 2030 and 2040. But none of those countries, including Canada, have made uh, concrete plans or regulations, like the California rule, which is in effect now, by the way. Mm. It was supposed to go uh, into effect uh, yesterday, or last Thursday. So... um, so, um, uh, so that California's already uh, launched on this, and uh, the other countries are are uh, the, uh, our fellow countries are just talking about it at this point. So um, we uh, we need accelerated uh, transition. Uh, uh, Drew Kodiak. Uh, who's an executive director of the International Council on Clean Transportation. Um, It's a research organization. Uh, It says uh, this regulation will set the global high watermark for the accelerated transition to electric vehicles. Um, And I think that's right because it has gone into effect. So I think Newsom has probably done the right thing, even though it looks impossible to uh, to meet the requirements at this point. <laughs> uh, but as I say, we did it in World War II. We may be able to do it again. And of course, the uh, uh, Biden already uh, last year already signed an executive order calling on the government to try to ensure that half of all vehicles. Um, be sold in the United States be electric by 2030, which is up from 6% a day. So from 6 to 20% in eight years. And Biden, um, uh, Biden, unfortunately, those, uh, uh, those executive orders have no legal force. Uh, and so uh, I think this was Biden attempting to get something done uh, despite the fact that he knew that it wouldn't be paid any attention to, uh, and it wasn't, and his uh, pr- approval rating went down instead of up, despite the fact that he was doing the right thing as far as as much as he could under the circumstance, uh, which was total blockage in the Senate. Uh, he has gotten around that this year, uh, so uh, so we have a number of accomplishments to. Uh, uh, to thank Biden for, and uh, our our uh, Republican uh, senator from Texas, John Cornyn, has uh, has been uh, a help in that. Uh, he has reached across the aisle and earned the title traitor from his fellow Republicans for doing so. Wow. Um. So, um. The new spe- 
spending bill, which has passed, includes $14 billion in tax incentives for buyers of new and used electrical cars right now. So last year, the Environmental Protection Agency restored and strengthened the Obama-era fuel economy rule that had been set aside by the Trump administration, of course, uh, which required that passenger vehicles get 55 miles per gallon by 2026 from just under 40 miles per gallon today. And the little Mercedes that I own is getting about 40, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, the one I had before that was running on diesel did a little better than that. It got about 46, uh, which was very good. It, it was a 1984 uh, model Mercedes. Um, but in any case, uh, that's far below uh, the ideal, and the ideal is not to have to use fossil fuel at all. Yeah. So um, uh, that uh, national uh, regulation, that 55-mile-per-gallon uh, regulation, is far below uh, what California has put into effect this week or past week. Um, but uh, it was thanks to the Biden—I think I said this earlier—that thanks to the Biden administration, the California— uh, could move forward with that ambitious policy, um, which uh, also, which restored a Clean Air Act waiver given to California, um, giving giving California the legal authority to set uh, uh, auto pollution and mileage rules that are tighter than the federal standards, and. Uh, uh, that had been halted, by the way, by President Donald Trump. So all progress towards uh, a cleaner environment uh, had been set back for four years uh, by Donald Trump eliminating all of those regulations. They have now been restored. So there is, um, there's, however, there is a fierce legal pushback by the right. Um, there is a legal, there is a suit. The attorneys general of 17 Republican allied states, or Republican-led states, I'm sorry, uh, have uh, sued to revoke the California waiver, uh, which would undo the new, and the the, the suit would undo the new policy. Uh, It will be heard before, and get this, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, which is considered the nation's second most powerful bench after the Supreme Court. And it tends to be conservative. Oh, I, so, I, I would have thought the opposite. You, yeah, well, uh, that's what I have been reading about it, that it tends to be conservative, um, but not extremely so. It, it's still balanced in its, uh, in its opinions, much more so, and has surprised us a number of times lately with uh, of what I consider the right ruling. Um, uh, so I think it is is—it uh, uh, is not leaning one way or another. It's balanced probably right uh, pretty securely in the middle, I'm hoping anyway. And some of the left-wingers are saying that it is leaning conservative because it isn't 
leaning as far west as as to left as they want. Okay, so uh, this bench, um, the oral arguments, um, haven't been scheduled yet, so we don't know when they push to eliminate uh, all of these uh, things that are progress towards uh, a cleaner environment. We don't know when they're going to start being argued before that court. So that concludes my presentation on California's um, new new plan. Uh, but now I'm, I have a uh, uh, another article here, uh, which came out in uh, Reader's Supported News uh, day before yesterday, and it attacks furiously attacks Governor Newsom. Um, but before I get into that, uh, what uh, what? Reactions do you have, Frank, to uh, to what I just uh, just uh, presented to the public? Well, you know, my my first thought, and it's you know, it's rhetorical, uh, is uh, is who's in opposition to that? You know, obviously you mentioned Republicans, but when you get to the the bottom line, it's the the gas companies, the oil companies, right? Uh, you happen to be speaking from Texas, and you know, let, let's let's remember why Texas. Is uh, is so wealthy, right? It, uh, you know, big part of Texas uh, is wealthy because of oil, right? because of our own oil there, and uh, and you know, Bush and Cheney, you know, Dick Cheney, um, and and different folks that made fortunes in the uh, in the oil business, um, you know, also uh, tied that oil to their success in uh, in, in politics. And you know, I, by the way, they're not exclusive in that. I mean, uh, for for years there has been a tie from the oil companies to the um, uh, you know to to key members. And by the way, a lot of Republicans, you know, a lot of Republicans uh, were were there. So my my question, and it's it's rhetorical, is is who's the uh, who's the automatic opposition to? going completely green in in a sense and i don't mean the the green new deal i'm not talking about that because that uh, you know uh, may be very extreme the uh, the other way the uh, you know the extreme left my thought is is who's immediately um you know in opposition of this and it's uh, you know i guess car, certain car manufacturers uh would be obviously because they're tied to the oil companies and the oil companies and big oil uh will have a lot to say about all of this and uh, and they are they are going to fight for their lives because yep. once this happens then you know i mean l listen i i don't ever think uh, that oil companies will will be without a use uh but right now i mean they have you know before electric cars and before all of these hybrid i i only drive priuses by the way and i you know i know they're not you know they're they're not perfect but uh, you know, I get sometimes 55 to 60 miles per gallon with my prices, and and it's um, I, I swear by them, you know, I swear by them. But uh, you know, it, honestly, that's only half of it. I I believe that people. I I mean, I believe I guess people should do what uh, what they want or what and what they're comfortable doing, but it would be nice if um, if uh, more and more 
electric cars or hybrid cars took over because our dependency on fossil fuel will uh, will obviously go down uh, further and further. And uh, we've been talking about this for a very long time. The other thought that I, I had was that uh, when I was a young man, when I was, you know, a teenager, uh, you know, some older guys uh, used to, you know, used to talk and and I guess us not having my, us meaning myself, my brother, some friends not having, um, you know, the full wisdom of our, you know, teen years. Right. Uh, we would listen and we would we would hear certain things that people would say. And I remember this one businessman I knew said that there are cars now that and this is what he would say and this is 1983 1985 1986 he said there were cars now that could probably run 100 miles per gallon but mm-hmm. they're not going to let them out they're going to let them out one by one little by little because the oil companies want to keep that dominance over it right and I just assumed that sounded logical to me. I had no proof, and I don't know that he had proof. And there was no internet back then, so it wasn't like, oh, let me Google it. It was all library work. You know, it was all, you know, like, oh, the next time I go into a library, I'm going to, you know, fact check him. And then you got to remember and, and so forth. But I, I didn't think it sounded outrageous. I thought it was, uh, it sounded pretty, pretty reasonable that the oil companies would be be doing that and again you know there's a there's an old saying in politics and and in other places follow the money right if you want to yep. know why somebody's doing something follow the money mm-hmm. just follow the money where is he or she getting paid from uh who's buttering their bread and, and so forth but i mean this is this is big oil and it's the the big oil companies Yes, and by the way, my state, the um, main source of income for Texas is oil. (laughs) So uh, even though, and that's another reason why John Cornyn has been called a traitor when he cooperates with the Democrats, because uh, Texas belongs to the Republican Party because the Republican Party is supporting the uh, the oil and gas, the petroleum business altogether, and uh, and so of course um, the the southern half of Texas and a lot of the western half of Texas as well is riddled with fracking towers um, and uh, pools of of uh, contaminated and poisonous water and so on. Um, I can't even drive to Albuquerque from San Antonio on, uh, uh, well, it's I-10, Interstate 10, and then I go north on 285, uh, and uh, that whole stretch is bordered by these fracking towers, and the road is clogged with oil trucks, uh, bumper to bumper for miles. And so you, instead of being able to go, uh, say, 75 miles an hour, uh, which I used to do up 285 from I-10 to I-40 and then on into Albuquerque, I will go maybe 35 if I'm lucky yeah. for uh, for the 400 miles or so of 285. Yeah, so, yes, Texas and and even New Mexico now. Uh, is involved in the oil business, and there are hundreds of thousands of, uh, of workers involved in this. And uh, so there, and uh, when I think of the refineries in southern Texas, on my way to Houston, I see uh, several of those, um, and the pipelines that are 
built to bring in the uh, the petroleum to be refined and so forth. I mean, we would have to turn around that entire economy. And the resistance to the turnaround is going to be enormous. And so the outcry, even in California, which I don't think has uh, the oil capacity that uh, we have, it certainly hasn't been discovered. Uh, California might be, uh, be able to do this, but Texas, uh, I think there's no way on earth that Texas can turn around and ban oil in favor of electricity. Although, on the other hand, Texas has one of the hugest uh, wind farms in uh, in the world, I think, but certainly in the United States because we do have uh, winds that are pretty constant that sweep parts of this state. Uh, San Antonio is like a little oasis. We, we almost have a, uh, a coastal uh, climate here that brings in, uh, if there is any moisture to be had, it brings in the moisture from the ocean and the clouds and the, the fogs and so on. And so we have the possibility of huge um, live oak trees and, uh, and other greenery, uh, which you saw, Frank, when you came out here. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so it's kind of, as I say, <clears throat> it's an oasis in uh, in a state that is otherwise uh, pretty dry. Um, certainly on the western, more than I'd say, western two thirds. Um, so. Um, so in any case, uh, it's going to be a very difficult thing to do to turn this country away from fossil fuel. And uh, so that's just my practical uh, take to add to yours. And um, and then there's this other um, article here uh, by Harvey Wasserman, uh, who says, and he puts the first word in quotation marks, President Newsom goes anti-solar and pro-nuke with a ticking clock. And I will just skim through this article. Uh, he, He is known as Green Gavin Newsom, the California governor who would be president, but who has gone intensely anti-solar and pro-nuke. And that's the first line in this article. He demands that by Wednesday night, and he wrote this on the on the 30th of August, so uh, he demands that by Wednesday night, within 48 hours, the state legislature approve keeping the Diablo Canyon nuclear reactors open indefinitely. Now, Diablo Canyon uh, has uh, the most accidents and the most problems of any uh, nuclear facility in this nation, and there are may, many reasons for that. Uh, but the shocker is that uh, the uh, uh, that the governor is uh, also par- a parallel move uh, is his attempt to tax rooftop solar to the extent that it uh, that it would be too expensive to install. And that would come within a month from the California Public Utilities Commission. So it's a one-two punch that has, of course, infuriated uh, the uh, California safe energy community. 
Um, now, his uh, his rationalization is that he needs the Diablo nuclear plant to meet future enemy enemy uh, energy demand. Uh, but uh, there are uh, there by now are about a million rooftop solar arrays uh, in the state uh, that empl- employ, and the the industry itself employs about seventy thousand workers, as opposed to fifteen hundred workers at Diablo Canyon. And with the new with federal tax credits and other incentives. Um, Renewable energy um, is transforming the state uh, and helping hundreds and thousands of households to produce their own clean and cheap energy and break away from the utility-owned grid. And all of this is desirable, but Newsom is going counter to this. I think Newsom is looking for new revenue, and he's not getting the revenue now. Uh, from the sale of, or doesn't expect to get it from the sale of gas. So he has to tax, um, somehow he has to tax solar energy, and that would be to tax uh, the installation of solar panels on your roof. Um, So um, uh, going back to the Diablo uh, facility, it was designed in the 1960s, so it's very old. And as I already said, it has more, has had more uh, breakdowns, shutdowns, I wouldn't say breakdowns, but shutdowns uh, and problems of various kinds uh, than any other facility, nuclear facility in the States. Uh, so um, it it is... Uh, a problem in itself, but also it has over over those years. Uh, unit one has become brittle, so it's in danger of cracking and breaking down anyway, physically. And uh, it is located 45 miles from the San Andreas Fault, which is the one that runs all the way through California, north to south and which has caused all the major earthquakes, only 45 miles away. And it is surrounded by a dozen or more fault lines leading right up to the site of this, of Diablo Canyon itself. And why they ever located a nuclear facility there is a mystery to everybody, but they did. So it is in a very unstable situation. geologically. So um, um, the, uh, of course the reliable, uh, its reliability uh, is compromised to begin with. Its situation is dangerous and the rise of renewable energy has slashed its ability to compete. So um, the uh, uh, the, the public facility, let's see what the title of it is, is Pacific Gas and Electric, uh, has planned to shut it down by 2004-2005, uh, and that's when its uh, national, let's see, its Nuclear Regulatory Commission license uh, would expire anyway. So uh, Governor Newsom is going against this because he wants to keep it open indefinitely because he needs the power. 
and he needs the power in order to build factories and uh, buy the uh, materials to build electric vehicles. <laughs> wow. That's my connection between these two articles. So, um, uh, of course, the, uh, uh, the environmentalists factored in um, uh, megawatts, thousands of megawatts of green capacity, in other words, solar energy and wind energy, were fac- factored into the phase-out of Diablo Canyon. Uh, so th- that would guarantee California uh, a, a, an avoidance of uh, shortfalls uh, while transitioning entirely to solar, wind, and uh, batteries. Uh, so uh, that would guarantee the efficiency while uh, the, the uh, transformation takes place. But if, I think Newsom is, uh, has his eyes open. He, he, uh, he knows that he's going to need more energy than will probably be available to keep uh, everything in California running. Uh, because it's an extremely busy state, heavily uh, populated, and uh, uh, its demands on energy, on the energy grid, are enormous. Uh, And anyway, uh, opposition came from the San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, uh, which apparently had uh, considerable force. Uh, I lived in San Luis Obispo briefly as a as a uh, teenager, uh, and so I know that city uh, and love it. <laughs> yeah. But in any case, um, the, this liberal group uh, is opposed to uh, Governor Newsom's new plan for uh, Diablo Canyon, um, and. Uh, uh, Newsom wants to uh, hand uh, PG&E, that's Pacific Gas and Electric, uh, $1.4 billion in public money to keep Diablo Canyon open for undetermined years to come, says the article. And so the uh, the mothers, the San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, uh, are uh, attacking him uh, right there on that very policy. So... Uh, he has rushed this whole thing, this decree of his that he wants to keep Diablo Canyon open with no public hearings or inspections. And um, the or- he, can't- he canceled the uh, orderly phase-out uh, of Diablo Canyon, and green activists are, of course, furious, uh, and they and view it as an autocratic and arbitrary and opportunistic betrayal. So there you go. They're furious at him, and uh, uh, and of course, uh, there is no hint in this article uh, that there is any other reason for this besides sheer autocracy and uh, arbitrariness. But uh, it seems to me that he could uh, have approached the problem a little more gracefully. Uh, so, um, so there is Diablo. Uh, it has no has had no maintenance for six years, deferred maintenance for six years, um, and uh, it is deteriorating. The reactors are deteriorating, and the cost effectiveness of renewables and uh, efficiency of battery storage and all that wind uh, wind solar 
power, wind and solar power, our uh, efficiency there is rising and the price is falling. So there's all this uh, argument for uh, switching over. So, uh, and I'll just read the the last paragraph here. Uh, Newsom's sudden support for a 35-year-old reactor surrounded by earthquake faults with major structural faults in a green state is widely seen as part of a presidential campaign ready to reap huge utility and nuke-powered donations. Okay, and I will stop uh, at this point. Um, with this article, because I think the points have been made. Um, but uh, I, uh, early on, when I was uh, dealing with the uh, uh, with the mandate to uh, switch to electrical cars, uh, beginning now, uh, the article uh, that was account was. Uh, recounting all of that, uh, when I enumerated the problems, one of the problems was power. And that seems to be dominant right now in uh, Governor Newsom's mind, and he is dealing with it by keeping Diablo Canyon open. Now, I don't know uh, what other uh, power plants, nuclear power plants, there are in California, but I would be willing to bet that he has them all going, and that would include Diablo Canyon. It's only one of several uh, that will be continued um, in full operation for the foreseeable future because uh, he is afraid of running out of power. Even though solar and wind are increasing, increasingly available to uh, uh, to the uh, population of California, it wouldn't be enough to uh, if one adds also the manufacture of a fleet of electric cars all of a sudden. So, yeah, Doc, I think you're making great points, and you've basically laid out both sides of the argument. And when uh, when you think about it, um, you. Uh, you're giving. I think you're giving a pretty, a, a, a pretty unbiased. We know where you stand, obviously, but you're giving. You're giving the facts. I think you're laying out facts, and uh, and and people can kind of decide uh, from there. But where where does it go from here? What does uh, Wasserman's uh, uh, argument go from here? Yeah, well, our, uh, Wasserman is just furious at this business of keeping Diablo Canyon open uh, when it is threatened on all sides. <laughs> it's threatened uh, at collapse from inside because it's it's brittle. At least Unit 1 is is brittle, so if anybody taps on the walls, it might crack and break down. Uh, and it's threatened from the outside by something like 12 fissures, uh, for, earthquake fissures that uh, are branches off of the uh, San Andreas Fault. Um, and why, as I said earlier, why it was built in such a place uh, in Diablo Canyon, which is probably a, an earthquake fault in itself, uh, is a mystery to me. Uh, but uh, geologists who had graduate degrees from UCLA probably uh, decreed that that would be a good place for it, and so there it is. Uh, in any case, that this should be kept open. Uh, Wasserman is furious about that and attacks 
uh, Governor Newsom with all four feet, uh, so <laughs> and and claws and teeth, um, and uh, is is calling him a uh, pawn of uh, uh, of the uh, industrial complex and of all the corporations, of course, the oil companies and so forth. I mean that is implied here, uh, which I think is a very limited view of the situation. Because what I think, just to recapitulate, is uh, that Newsom is desperate to have enough power. Uh, he's going to need probably to double the power source he has, uh, certainly ramp it up uh, gradually as he ramps up the production of electric cars, because uh, new factories are going to have to be built, especially for the batteries. Uh, and new resources are going to have to be found, and so on and so on. Uh, and that I already uh, enumerated in the number of plans, of uh, uh, problems that are facing the plan, uh, his plan to, um, to go totally, excuse me, totally electric. Uh, anyway, that's those are the two sides. And yes, uh, I think it's a mistake, perhaps, to keep Diablo Canyon open. But on the other hand, Surely that is not the only nuclear power plant in, in California, and I, I think he is keeping all of them open indefinitely. And, uh, and uh, uh, that was Diablo Canyon was the only one that was due to be shut down in, in uh, 2035, and uh, he's saying, no, if we can keep it open, we must keep it open. Yeah. So that, that's his position, and and I know that I, I kind of from from his announcement about electrical cars, I know why. Right. So yeah, there we are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it, it's actually this is a this is a turning point in our society. This uh, this argument r really is, and I don't know when the exact uh, turning point will be. You know, when when historically they're going to look back and say, well, this is the moment that that they really made the move towards electric cars. But I think maybe even uh, Newsom uh, is uh, is, you know, wants to make a historical record or a historic record for himself um, to, to be that um, that person that's uh, that's calling for this, that's demanding this. And, you know, this is, you know, I'm not saying it's a stunt. Um, I, we know, you know, we know where he is. We know, you know, where his heart is, too. I mean, he, he wants this. This isn't new. You know, he's, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's talked um, uh, green energy and, uh, and, and, you know, things. And he's always talked uh, that. Um, but quite frankly, uh, there, there's going to be a, a point in history a uh, hundred years from now where where people look back and say or 50 years from now 20 years from now and they say this was the point where where it all started going electric and before that we used this yucky stuff called gasoline and and what have you but that uh, that's where I think we are now and I think people are are battling for positions to make their, yeah. you know, make their their statement to to stake their claim, so to speak, uh, in in history. I don't know. Is that too cynical of me to say that? Not at all. I think that's quite true. So I, I think you have a balanced view of this situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Uh, listen, Doc, this is uh, this is good stuff. We could uh, you could do ten shows on this, and and to me it wouldn't be enough. I mean, it's uh, the same thing with all the environmental talk that uh, that we've uh, we've done recently, and we've concentrated on. Uh, there is, um, you know, we're we're at an economic. Um, and and at the uh, uh, ecological uh, at the same time an ecological crisis and uh, and there's this battle there's this tug of war between uh, what we're going to uh, what we should do uh, you know <laughs> rightfully do and what we're ultimately going to do because the tug of war is between the uh, uh, the you know the business world and uh, and the environmental. Uh, environmentalist and you know we'll see where it goes from there there's got to be a middle ground and there's got to be gray areas where uh where right. where people um uh understand that okay well we can't we're not going to get away with doing all of this because we got to compromise with with the other side but we got to at least get blank and whatever blank is that's what that's what we're trying to figure out once they figure out all the blanks all the uh, all the blanks what uh, what the key points are and what the key um, uh, uh, stumbling blocks are. That's when we'll make mm-hmm. real progress. So let's let, let's uh, let's see what happens. We'll watch it very closely. Any final words on this? Well, I'm just hoping that uh, uh, prospectors are out there looking for lithium and cobalt. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> and I, uh, they I will find say. it in our country somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> And then there'll be another boom town, another uh, gold rush. Only it'll be a cobalt rush instead. Wow, <laughs> lithium and cobalt. Wow, yeah, just wonderful. Doc, uh, thank you very much for this. This is wonderful, uh, wonderful material. And uh, and to everyone out there, uh, thank you all for listening. We know you have a lot of choices. Thank you for choosing us. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on the Florence Weinberg Show. You've been listening to Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. The most intriguing talk in talk radio. Radio.